0: Well, a very good afternoon, uh, brethren and sisters, or good morning, good evening, wherever you are in the world. It's uh, nice to uh, have you all joining in to uh, join us for the daily readings today. Uh, we'll begin with a word of prayer. Almighty Heavenly Father, great God of all creation, God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Lord God, we seek thy presence and we seek thy blessing at this time as we open thy word, and read from it. Help us, Heavenly Father, to put to one side all of those everyday cares from our minds as we read and meditate upon thy word. Help us to glean from it those things which are beneficial to us spiritually so that we might better walk before thee and better follow the example of thy beloved Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you that we are able to read this thy word in our own language, that we are able to consider it freely. And we pray, Lord God, that thou wilt strengthen us and bless us in these difficult last days, that we might continually draw strength and encouragement one with another in our fellowship together, that we might better serve thee and honour thy great and thy holy name. So then, Lord God, bless us in our reading of thy word, bless us in our time together in fellowship. Above all things, we pray earnestly for the return of thy beloved Son to the earth and for the establishment of thy kingdom of righteousness throughout the whole world. Speed on that day, Lord God, until he come, be with us and strengthen us and guard us and keep us. For to thee and to thee alone, Lord God, do we look for our salvation and for our refuge and for our protection. We offer our praises now in the name of our coming King, even Jesus the Christ. Okay, our uh, first reading is uh, first, uh, first Kings 13, and uh, we're going to be led in that reading by uh, Brother David please.
1: And behold, Bethlehem, a man of God, out of Judah, by the word of the Lord, unto Bethel, and Jeroboam stood by the altar to burn incense. And he cried against the altar in the word of the Lord, and said, O altar, altar, thus saith the Lord, Behold, a child shall be born unto the house of David, Josiah by name, and upon thee shall he offer the priests of the high places that burn incense upon thee, and men's bones shall be burnt upon thee. And he gave a sign the same day, saying, This is the sign which the Lord hath spoken. Behold, the altar shall be rent, and the ashes that are upon it shall be poured out. And it came to pass, when King Jeroboam heard the saying of the man of God, which had cried against the altar in Bethel, that he put forth his hand from the altar, saying, Lay hold on him. And his hand, which he put forth against him, dried up, so that he could not pull it in again to him. The altar also was rent, and the ashes poured out from the altar, according to the sign which the man of God had given by the word of the Lord. And the king answered and said unto the man of God, Entreat now the faith of the Lord thy God, and pray for me, that my hand may be restored again. And the man of God besought the Lord, and the king's hand was restored him again, and became as it was before. And the king said unto the man of God, Come home with me and refresh thyself, and I will give thee a reward. And the man of God said unto the king, If thou wilt give me half thine house, I will not go in with thee, neither will I eat bread, nor drink water in this place. For so was it charged me by the word of the Lord, saying, Eat no bread, nor drink water, nor turn again by the same way that thou camest. So he went another way, and returned not by the way in which he had come to Bethel. Now there dwelt an old prophet in Bethel, and his sons came and told him all the works that the man of God had done that day in Bethel, the words which he had spoken unto the king. Then they told also to their father. And their father said unto them, what way went he for his sons had seen what way the man of god went which came from judah and he said unto his sons saddle me the ass so they saddled him the ass and he rode thereon and he went after the man of god and found him sitting under an oak and said unto him art thou the man of god that came as from judah and he said i am Then he said unto him, Come home with me and eat bread. And he said, I may not return with thee, nor go in with thee, neither will I eat bread nor drink water with thee in this place. For it was said to me by the word of the Lord, Thou shalt eat no bread, nor drink water there, nor turn again to go by the way that thou camest. And he said unto him, I am a prophet also, as thou art. And an angel spake unto me by the word of the Lord, saying, Bring him back with thee into thine house, that he may eat bread and drink water. But he lied unto him. So he went back with him, and did eat bread and in his house, and drank water. And it came to pass, as they sat at the table, that the word of the Lord came unto the prophet that brought him back. And he cried unto the man of God that came from Judah, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Forasmuch as as thou hast disobeyed the mouth of the Lord, and hast not kept the commandment which the Lord thy God commanded thee, but came us back, and hast eaten bread and drunk water, in the place of which the Lord did say to thee, Eat no bread and drink no water. Thy carcass shall not come unto the sepulchre. Of thy fathers and it came to pass after he had eaten bread and after he had drunk that he saddled for him the ass to wit for the prophet whom he had brought brought him back and when he was gone a lion met him by the way and slew him and his carcass was cast in the way and the ass stood by it the lion also stood by the carcass And behold, men passed by and saw the carcass cast in the way, and the lion standing by the carcass. And they came and told it in the city where the old prophet dwelt. And when the prophet that brought him back from the way heard thereof, he said, It is the man of God, who was disobedient unto the word of the Lord. Therefore the Lord has delivered him unto the lion which had torn him and slain him, according to the word of the Lord, which he spake unto him. And he spake to his sons, saying, Saddle me the ass. And they saddled him. And he went and found his carcass in the way, and the ass and the lion standing by the carcass. The lion had not eaten the carcass, nor torn the ass. And the prophet took up the carcass of the man of God, and laid it upon the ass, and brought it back. And the old prophet came to the city to mourn and to bury him. And he laid his carcass in his own grave, and they mourned over him, saying, Alas, my brother. And it came to pass, after he had buried him, that he spake to his son, saying, When I am dead, then bury me in the sepulchre, wherein the man of God is buried, lay my bones beside his bones. For the saying which he cried by the word of the Lord against the altar in Bethel and against all the houses of the high places which are in the cities of Samaria shall surely come to pass. After this thing, Jeroboam returned not from his evil way, but made again of the lowest of the people priests of the high places. Whosoever would, He consecrated him, and he became one of the priests of the high places. And this thing became sin unto the house of Jeroboam, even to cut it off and to destroy it from off the face of the earth.
0: Thanks for the David. Just a a couple of thoughts that uh, come to mind to start with, just to um, commence our discussion. uh, We're told uh, about Jeroboam in the first uh, verse of this chapter, and uh, we're told in the um, penultimate verse of this chapter that he still, after all the things that happened in this chapter, did not turn from his evil way. And uh, I've got a few notes in my margin towards the end of the previous chapter, just to indicate just how bad Jeroboam was. So he did things at the wrong time. So in verse 32 of the previous chapter, uh, Jeroboam ordained a feast in the eighth month on the 15th day of the month, uh, which was the wrong time, the wrong date. And Then in verse 31 of the previous chapter, made a house of high places and made priests of the lowest of the people. So he did things on the wrong day and he had the wrong priests. And then in verse 29 of the previous chapter, he said, the one in Bethel, and the other place he put uh, the other he put him down. So he's doing things in the wrong place as well. Um, and then in the chapter we've just read, we have mentioned to these priests who he sets up. They they seem um, they seem to be not only describing the previous chapter as the lowest of the men, but they they seem to be yes men. And uh, verse um, thirty three makes uh, mention of that again and uh, he makes these priests of the high places whosoever would, he consecrated them if he became one of the priests of the high places. And then margin mentioned there that, he, that uh, consecrated them means filled his hand. That makes you wonder if there's some financial transaction going on there to get a place as a priest, possibly. But uh, just a, a dreadfully corrupt uh, evil king who led the people in the wrong way. And uh, summarised really in that um, rather dreadful um, request that he puts in after his his hand is withered. Uh, he then asks the prophet to pray for him, and his hand is restored. And then, as soon as that's happened, he then offers some sort of reward to uh, to the man of God, which is just terrible. Um, sort of trying to thank him and thinking that money would influence him or um, some faith from the king would influence him and uh, really absolutely no clue about how his king he had a, a, a role to be a spiritual leader to the people. It was uh, a man who was consumed with the status and the wealth and the other things, the trappings that went along with being a king but didn't realize the spiritual aspect of leadership and, and the value spiritually that was, that was there within it and a man who was totally um, failing in his spiritual role to do that. So I'd welcome any further questions or comments at this stage. They do I do I can't see So anybody who'd like to uh, make a comment, you can say so in uh, chat function. If I can see you, I'll be more than happy to let you. Make a
2: comment
3: Andrew Thank you brother Jared. Um, Lovely introduction and uh, thoughts that uh, you developed there. Thank you so much. Um, I wonder if it's uh, significant uh, in verse um, 4 that Jeroboam's hand uh, dried up when we know where the uh, echoes take us uh, in other parts of scripture. To, um, well, think of the miracle of the Lord Jesus with the man with the uh, arm that was dried up, um, which could be a a sort of a a, a picture of the whole of the nation. What you do, you do with your arm. And uh, they were uh, now impotent, as it were. They were unable to uh, uh, react in the right way. They hardened their hearts. The the religious leaders had the evidence but um, refused to accept it. But there's an an interesting reference in the the prophecy of Zechariah, which might be worth turning up. Zechariah chapter 11. Zechariah chapter 11. The uh, last section of the uh, prophecy, of uh, the, the chapter, verse 15, the Lord said unto me, Take unto thee yet uh, the instruments of a foolish shepherd. Uh, and the fact that verse 17 then says, Woe to the idle shepherd that leaveth the flock. The sword shall be upon his arm and upon his right eye. His arm shall be clean, dried up, and his right eye shall be utterly darkened. So, uh Jeroboam, as it were, taking on here, or what's being uh, inflicted upon him, uh, is, as it were, going to be developed for the nation whose uh, right hand was dried up, and uh, they failed to see because they didn't want to see. Would you like another point? <laughs> well, hello, hello.
0: absolutely right. Yeah, I mean, I, what you mentioned there is uh, spot on because it makes me think immediately of the. Uh uh, when the Lord Jesus uh, went to get the figs and there was nothing there on the on the, uh, the fig tree so that it was uh, cursed and dried up because it wasn't being fruitful and productive and it's interesting that mm-hmm. his arm was dried up because it's your arm that does things mm-hmm. so it's, it's the arm that should be working the land as it were or tending the vine and producing fruit Yeah, uh, so yeah
3: quite appropriate the, same. Uh, the repeated praise um, in, in chapter 13 of course is the word of the Lord the word of the lord in verse 1 the word of the lord in verse 2 uh, verse 5 verse 9 uh, you follow it through and it's repeated you know several times that these things were according to the word of the lord and this prophet who perhaps we might feel sorry for uh, in that um, from a sort of a human point of view, was sort of doing his job, uh, but he did not see the significance that what he was doing was according to the word of the Lord, and then sort of went against it, didn't he, Uh, by listening to the other prophet uh, who had lied to him, verse um, 18. And isn't it significant in verse... um, verse 18 of chapter 13, he said unto him, I am a prophet also as thou art, and an angel spake unto me by the word of the Lord. And just think where that takes you, that um, the angel here, he says he claimed but he lied, uh, gave me a different word uh, contradicting what the prophet had originally been been, uh, been told Paul says, doesn't he, to the Galatians, even if an angel uh, gives you another gospel that is not the right gospel, then don't listen to it, but uh, listen to the word of the Lord uh, and not the words of men. The the word of the Lord is the spirit level that we apply at all times. There you are, not take up any more time. Thank you. Thank you, thank you.
0: Uh, Let's go to the weatheralls now. Let me just unmute. um, does that work? Why is it not unmute? Let me unmute. Jimmy might have to me out. I'm Michael Owen was first, I think. Was he He yep. said hello?
4: Oh, okay. I thought you'd yeah, right, I'm not used to this system. Anyway. Uh I'll try okay, I just uh... uh there you are. There we are, yeah, sure. Yeah, I was just gonna say, the whole thing, isn't it, is a is a kind of pattern of apostasy. Um Just like the, if we think of what's happening in the Christian church, it ends up having its own feasts and so forth which are kind of linked to Christian feasts and to Christian events but they are also linked to uh, worldly idolatry and and paganism in the world. Uh, It has its own priests Um, and again we know there's only one priest for us that is the Lord Jesus Christ and uh, everything about the worship of the, of the uh, apostate system um, is, is, in a sense, what Jeroboam did, where he mixed the worship of Yahweh with the worship of the Canaanite religions around him. Um, and that in that way, the word of the Lord was neglected, as Andrew has, has said. So I think that's a that's sort of great message to me. And we can see you know, the great lesson of what happened to Israel as a result of trying to mix true religion with worldly and pagan ideas. And for us as brethren and sisters of the Lord in our ecclesias, you know, there, there's, there are always those who, who say, oh, well, what's wrong with the Church of England? What's wrong with the Church of Wales, where I am now? Or, or the, these various other groups. But the fact is, they're not presenting a sound... Uh, set of beliefs rooted in the Word of God, and that's what we've got to hold on to. And Jeroboam's downfall is and his notoriety is because he tried to mix up worship of God in order to hold people loyal to himself with the worship that the Canaanites went in for.
0: Thank you, Michael. Uh, Brother Phil?
5: Okay, can everyone hear me? Uh, thanks very much Brother Jared. Um, just two very quick points. In Psalm 137, which is a captivity psalm, there's a verse which says, If I forget thee, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget her cunning. Um, and it kind of just reminds you of the incident that took place. Not only did he forget Jerusalem, he forsook Jerusalem, as you pointed out in your remarks. And the other one is it's often said that when Samson went down to Timnah, he was doing wrong, and yet we're told it was of the Lord. Um, But when a lion snarled and roared upon him, he was able to overcome the lion. Um, So you do wonder uh, about this prophet. He was disobedient. God punished him, Samson, um, taking God's war with the Philistines, and
0: he was able to overcome the lion. Thanks. <clears throat> Thank you. Uh, Brother Kitson, are you there?
2: Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Brad. Just just a very, very quick one. Uh, picking up what uh, Brother Michael said, in terms of mixing false with truth, um, In and you actually picked this up, In your early remarks in chapter 12, in verse 32, we're told that he institutes feasts on the eighth month, on the 15th day. If you go back to Leviticus 23, verse 34, the 15th day of the seventh month, and that is the Feast of Tabernacles. So he wants to run error with truth and he wants to put to one side the feast of tabernacles uh, and the next month introduce his own feast um, and of course the feast of tabernacles was to celebrate their time dwelling in booths and it's interesting that in chapter in 1 kings 12 in verse 28 it's when he makes the golden the the, the two got calves so he got this very interesting theme of wanting to um, dilute the truth and introduce his own things to to supersede that so you have a sort of running in parallel truth and error which is the story of the scriptures is it not that verse again kitson
0: it was chapter liberty verse 23 verse what sorry
2: because 23 and verse 34 34 got it thank you. the 15th day of the of the seventh month feast of tabernacles he brings it in the 15th day uh, of the 8th month. So he wants to dilute and get rid of the Feast of Tabernacles and bring something else, which is error. A month later.
0: Yeah. There's, uh, there's those that bring in false ideas, aren't there? And then there's always those that prime profit out of it. I'm always reminded when somebody tells you about the Feast of Booths. Uh, apparently, in Israel, if you go to the equivalent of B&Q, you can buy a Feast of Booths kit. You can build your own booths. Like a DIY kit you can buy. Your own booth. Uh, it, it just strikes me. There's always something trying to make a bit of money out of it, isn't there? It's uh, not what it's all about. Um, can we go to Abby, Ben and Leah next? Is there a question coming? Might need to throw that to the group. Probably just read it out. <laughs> Yeah, I'll read it out. Uh, The question was, and um, let's get some answers. Why was the man of God punished for being lied to? Uh, Maybe because he didn't make sure God's commandment was completed. I'd like to hear what people think of this from Abi Ben and Leah. Why was the man of God punished for being lied to? We, uh, just have one more comment maybe before we go to the next uh, chapter okay. I'll tell you what, I'll read out uh, a comment I've got here from uh, Stephen Arminis I believe that the man of God was punished because he should have obeyed the word of God should have realised that what the old prophet said was a lie, because it was the opposite of what God had told him. The lesson for us is to compare what people say with the word. Uh, hang I've gone on there. Uh,
6: so,
0: there what people say. Right. The lesson for us is to compare what people say with the word of God, like the Bretons did. Right, okay. Um, shall we go on to our second chapter then? Just keep an eye on the clock here. Uh, Jeremiah 39. And uh, we're going to be led in this chapter by uh, Brother Paul Mallender, please. Jeremiah 39. Jeremiah yeah.
7: 39. In the ninth year of Zedekiah, king of Judah, in the tenth month, came Nebuchadrezzar king of Babylon and all his army against Jerusalem and they besieged it and in the eleventh year of Zedekiah, in the fourth month, the ninth day of the month, the city was broken up. And all the princes of the king of Babylon came in and sat in the middle gate, even Nergal-Shariza, Shamgar nebo Saassi King, Babsas, Rabmag, with all the residue of the princes of the king of Babylon. And it came to pass that when Zedekiah, the king of Judah, saw them, and all the men of war, then they fled and went forth out of the city by night by the way of the king's garden, by the gate betwixt the two walls, and he went out to the way of the plain but the Chaldean army pursued after them and overtook Zedekiah in the plains of Jericho. And when they had taken him, they brought him to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, to Riblah in the land of Hamath, where he gave judgment upon him. Then the king of Babylon slew the sons of Zedekiah in Miblah before his eyes. Also the king of Babylon slew all the nobles of Judah. Moreover, he put out Zedekiah's eyes and bound him with chains to carry him to Babylon. And the Chaldeans burned the king's house and the houses of the people with fire and break down the walls of Jerusalem. Then Nebuzar Aden, the captain of the guard, carried away captive into Babylon, the remnant of the people that remained in the city, and those that fell away, that fell to him, with the rest of the people that remained. But Nebuzar Aden, the captain of the guard, left of the poor of the people, which had nothing, in the land of Judah, and gave them vineyards and fields. At the same time. Now Nebuchadrezzar king of Babylon gave charge concerning Jeremiah to Nebuchadnezzar Aden the captain of the guard saying take him and look well to him and do him no harm but do unto him even as he shall say unto thee. So Nebuchadnezzar Aden the captain of the guard sent and Nebuchadnezzar, Rabsaris, and nergal Rabmag, and all the king of Babylon's princes, even they sent and took Jeremiah out of the court of the prison, and committed him unto Gedaliah the son of Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, that he should carry him home. So he dwelt among the people." Now the word of the Lord came unto Jeremiah, while he was shut up in the court of the prison, saying, Go, and speak to ebed the Ethiopian, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will bring my words upon this city for evil, and not for good, and they shall be accomplished in that day before thee. But I will deliver thee in that day, saith the Lord, and thou shalt not be given into the hand of the men of whom thou art afraid, for I will surely deliver thee, and thou shalt not fall by the sword, but thy life shall be for a prey unto thee, because thou hast put thy trust in me, saith the Lord.
0: Thanks for that, uh, Brother Paul. <coughs> so, uh, we have here the, uh, the reign of Zedekiah, and uh, it's not good because uh, we've got this captivity, along comes Nebuchadnezzar, and there's the besieging uh, the of Jerusalem. Uh, if you flick a, a chapter or so back to the beginning of verse, uh, to the beginning of chapter 37, we find out what Zedekiah is like. You know, we've got parallels here with the last king we' read really, about in the last chapter, um, verse one and two of Jeremiah 37, King Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, reigned instead of Caniah, the son of Jehoiakim, whom Nigadrezza, king of Babylon, made king in the land of Judah. But neither he nor his servants nor the people of the land did hearken unto the words of the Lord, which he spake by the prophet Jeremiah. So this disobedience leads to the invasion, leads to the besieging of the city of uh, Jerusalem. Um, Despite all that, though, you can see in uh, verse 14 that even though there's this foreign invasion, even though there's this this besieging, there's still this care of God for uh, the prophet Jeremiah because verse 14 tells us, uh, they took Jeremiah out of the court of the prison and committed him unto Gedaliah the son of Ahikam that he should carry him home so he dwelt among the people so he's, he's taken out of his prison environment and taken care of by the Lord which is uh, uh, significant of God's mercy to those who do listen to uh, his work and uh, again, it, speaking of what we looking at in that theme in the last chapter of those with with positions of responsibility, kings who should be leading the people spiritually. Again, you've got here in verses 6 and 7, you've got Zedekiah um, as his eyes taken out because he's not seeing things properly. He's not seeing things spiritually, is he? Uh, Verse 7 says, uh, moreover, he put out Zedekiah's eyes, bound him with chains and carried him to uh, Babylon. So Zedekiah, because he wasn't looking with the eye of faith, uh, Judah itself is is blind to the sin that's that's going on. And this is a fulfillment of um, Ezekiel, chapter 12, verse 13, if I can find it, which, uh, again, talking about uh, the captivity of Zedekiah. Uh, Verse 13 of uh, Ezekiel 12 says, my net also will I spread upon him and he shall be taken in my snare and I will bring him to Babylon to the land of the accordions, yet shall he not see it, though he shall die there. So there's no point in having eyes if you're not seeing and, and there's no point in if, you, if you're a king and you're not seeing things spiritually and not seeing the right way for the people to go and not seeing how you as king should be setting the right example for the people to follow. Well, there's no point in having eyes, there's no point in having an arm, it's, it's not producing fruit, working uh, correctly spiritually, for might as well wither up. So there's an interesting parallel there between uh, these first uh, the readings that we've done today. Let me throw it open for discussion, let's see if anybody's got any other points they'd like to make. Richard Cherry, let's have a look.
8: Thank you. I don't really want to jump in before anybody else. (laughs) we have been studying Jeremiah. Um, uh, A couple of things. Um, Jeremiah um, is at the beginning of the book when he is commissioned he's told in the first chapter that he will be a um he will be a defense city an iron pillar and brazen walls now because jeremiah represented the true israel he he represented the true jerusalem jerusalem that is from above whereas um where Zedekiah was the false false king, wasn't he? And so his he, he's, 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 he's walls, his defense was never breached by Nebuchadnezzar. He remained true and God protected him. He was a defendable city. Um, sometimes the, the problem with Jeremiah is it's not always in chronological order. So you find in this chapter 39, um, that obviously you've got this, this, this take on the fall of Jerusalem. And there's then verse 15, we go back to the, when he's in the court of the prison. Now, there is a, um, without anticipating um, with what's going to be said tomorrow, if you look at chapter 40 and verse 1, um, it, it, it talks about, it says, the word that came to Jeremiah from Yahweh after the Nebuchadnezzar Aden, the captain of the guard had let him go from Ramah where he had taken him being bound in chains or in manacles among all that were carried away captive of Jerusalem and Judah, which were carried away captive unto Babylon. So that's referring back um, to verse nine of chapter 39, where Nebuchadnezzar Nebuchadnezzar takes the the remnant to be transported to Babylon. Um, And they go to Ramah. Um, which is something I've never um, seen before. I mean, you obviously, read over it, but of course, that's then referring back to the reference, isn't it? Uh, that Rama um, in Rama, Rachel weeping for her children because they were not. So this is this this reference to Rama is to do with the with the taking away into captivity, the the the, the captivity of the children, um, and he and he leaves in the he leaves in the in the land. Uh, the poor of the people, uh, notice that phrase, which had nothing. Now, who were the poor of the people that had nothing? Because surely everybody has something. Who is it that doesn't, has nothing? Well, the only people that have nothing is the slaves, is the bondmen and bondwomen. And, of course, uh, what had happened was that Jeremiah, in previous chapter, had got the people to release their slaves They'd taken an oath before God that they would release their slaves and then uh, they took all the slaves back again, um, which God's obviously condemned them for. But these were the poor of the land. Right? These were the slaves that had nothing and now they had something. And how wonderful that is when we think about the Lord Jesus Christ, who, who, who brings, brings liberty to the captives and, uh, and, and will raise the, those that are poor in spirit, that will inherit the kingdom of God. Um, because these were the people that inherited the, the, inherited the land. And of course, Jeremiah the, then is committed to the, I don't quite know how the idea, what, what the chronology is of going to Rama and being in chains and backing being the court of the, of the prison. Because in verse, chapter 38, verse 28, it says, so Jeremiah abode in the court of the prison until the day that Jerusalem was taken and he was there when Jerusalem was taken. Um, so I don't quite know how, what the chronology of it is when he went to Ramah, but obviously it is. But, but I, I love this picture in verse 13 and verse 39 where Nebuchadnezzar Ada, the captain of the guard, um, the, all the princes of Babylon, all the princes of Babylon come, and, and they the, the, and they take Jeremiah and give him to to Gedaliah, and he says that he should carry him home, and so he dwelt amongst the people. But know that's not how it, it ended up. Um, but it was a royal guard, wasn't it, to take Jeremiah to Gedaliah? Um, and um, what could be better than that? And so we find that with many of God's princes, God's people, it happened to to Daniel, didn't it? Um, when Cyrus came into the city, um, and, and Daniel had his, they tried to change his name, didn't they? And these were, these were names that had, um, had been given um, in Babylon. I'll, um, I'll shut up now, okay?
0: Thank you, Richard. Yeah. I think uh, we've got Brother Michael and Brother Kitson who'd like to... Uh, okay, just a couple, do couple, do. Of,
4: couple of quick points. First of all, in verse 3, there are... <laughs> Six people mentioning you know, Nergal, Shereza, Samgar, Neba, and so on. Six of them, and six, of course, is the number of man. And so we see here's an example of God working through man to, you know, through man's agency uh, to fulfil His purpose in Ezekiel chapter nine. You've also got six men, you remember, Ezekiel nine verse two, who came from the way of the upper gate uh, with a slaughter weapon in their hand. So, so, so God can use. Uh, the kingdom of man for his own purposes. Now, the other point I want to make, which follows on from what Brother Richard said about the poor of the people, which had nothing. I mean, uh, take his point, it could have been slaves. I think, too, possibly, um, you know, the, the very lowest of the low were not of any interest to the Babylonians. They wanted to take people away who were going to be of benefit to them in, in, um, in Babylon. So these would be, as it were, those who were viewed from society's point of view, as of no consequence, no use, but they're looked after. There's an interesting reference in Lamentations chapter 3, uh, where in verse 31, uh, the inspired record says, the Lord will not cast off forever, for though he caused grief, yet will he have compassion according to the multitude of his mercies, for he does not afflict willingly nor grieve the children of men. So here's God's compassion and God's mercy to ensure that those who were at the bottom of the pile and had, in a sense, um, uh, he, you know, lost everything in this situation, were provided for. I think that's, um, that's really rather a kind of comforting thought. Just one final thought as well is that um, I just wonder whether it was Daniel's influence, because Daniel would have been amongst the first Taken off to Babylon, remember, in the very first way, because he was of great value to them, uh, whether his influence would have um, helped to secure the release of uh, Jeremiah.
2: Kitchen, thank you, Michael. Yes. Just a quick point of exhortation. Uh, Brother James, Brothers and sisters, it all started in the plains of Jericho, and it ended in the plains of Jericho. There's something very ironic. Uh, Joshua 4 verse 13 says, "About 40,000 prepared for war passed over before the Lord unto battle to the plains of Jericho." Very, very uh, ironic. It, it jumps out at the page from the page. Verse 5 of Jeremiah 39. But the Chaldeans army pursued after them and overtook Zedekiah in the plains of Jericho. So you, you got these bookends. It started in Jericho. King finished in Jericho. And the, the ironism there is very striking. It's saying those, that, that ye, those years or those centuries between Jericho taken and the king taken in the same said place in the plains of Jericho. What God had done for his people between, between those two bookends of history is very, very striking, very striking. And uh, a, a somber warning for us, brethren and sisters, in our lives.
0: Any other final comments, or should we move on to our New Testament chapter? We go to uh, Mark 13. And uh, Brother Tony is going to lead us in this reading. Might help a uh, chim. Or Luke. He's mute Just um, needed to unmute himself. I can't unmute him. Alright. I've well, asked them to
9: Unmute. Okay. Better. Thank you. Okay.
0: I think you're on mute again, Brother Tony.
9: Okay. That's it. Unless uh, well, it's when I'm putting the Bible on the top, okay? And as he went out, of, forth out of the temple, one of his disciples said unto him, Master, behold, what manner of stones and what manner of buildings are here. And Jesus answering said unto him, Seest thou these great buildings? There shall not be left here one stone upon another, This shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives over against the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when shall these things be? What shall be the sign of when all these things are about to be fulfilled? Jesus answering them began to say, Take heed that any man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am he and shall lead deceive many. And when ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars, be ye not troubled, for such things must needs be, but the end shall not be yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There shall be earthquakes in divers places. There shall be famines and troubles. These are the beginning of sorrows. But take heed to yourselves, for they shall deliver you up to councils, and in the synagogue you shall be beaten, and shall be brought before rulers and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them. And the gospel must first be published into all the nations. But when they shall lead you, and deliver you up, take no thought beforehand what ye shall speak, neither do ye premeditate, for whatsoever shall be given to you in that that hour, that speak ye. For it is not ye that speak, but the Holy Spirit." And now the brother shall betray the brother to death, and the father the son, and the children shall rise up against their parents, and shall cause them to be put to death. And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that shall endure to the end, the same shall be saved. But when you see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing where it ought not, let him that readeth understand. Then let them that are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let him that is on the housetop not go down into the house, neither enter therein to take anything out of the house. And let him that is in the field not turn back again to take up his garment. But woe to them that are with child, and to them that give suck in those days. And pray ye that your flight be not in winter. For in those days shall be affliction such as not been from the beginning of the creation which God created until this time, neither shall be. And except that day, except the Lord had shortened those days, no flesh should be saved. But for the elect's sake, whom he hath chosen, he hath shortened the days. And then if any man shall say to you, Lo, here is Christ, or here, here, is, here he is, There, believe it not, for false Christs and false prophets shall rise, and shall show signs and wonders, to seduce, if it were possible, even the elect. But take ye heed, behold, I have foretold you all things. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun shall be darkened, the moon shall not give her light, and the stars of heaven shall fall, and the powers that are in the heavens shall be shaken. And then shall they see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And then shall he send his angels, and shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from the uttermost part of the earth to the uttermost part of heaven. Now learn the parable of the fig tree. When her branch is yet tender, and putteth forth leaves, ye know that summer is near. So ye in like manner, when ye shall see these things come to pass, know that it is nigh even at the doors. Verily I say unto you, that this generation shall not pass till all these things be done. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. But of that day and that hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son, but the Father. Take ye heed, watch, and pray, for ye know not when the time is. For the Son of Man is as a man taking a far journey, who left his house and gave authority to his servants, and to every man his work, and commanded the porter to watch. Watch therefore, for ye know not when the master of the house cometh, at even, or at midnight, or at cock crowing, or in the morning, lest suddenly coming suddenly, he find you sleeping. And what I say unto you, I say unto all. Watch.
0: Thanks for returning. Well, we're in the uh, final week in the run up to the uh, crucifixion. I've got a a note in my margin that um, first verse, uh, I've got a note in my margin that says we're we're on Tuesday afternoon of of the final week here. And we have these uh, remarkable and powerful prophecies of the Lord Jesus in this 13th chapter indicating to us uh, the greatness of the judgments of God that were poured out not only uh, on Israel and on Jerusalem, on the people, uh, but also on the whole world. And, uh, you know, we've got, if you look at verses uh, 15 to, to 18 or so, you, you, know, you can relate those words specifically to AD D seventeen, the judgments poured out then. Um, But again, of course, we've got uh, verses 5 onwards, uh, verses 7 and 8 in particular, which are describing the times in which we're in, which are increasing in terms of uh, times of trouble, such as never was, immediately before the return of the Lord, which is the very last days which we're living through right now. And uh, it's it's quite significant. I mean, going back to that first verse again, you know, you've got the disciples marvelling at the the architecture in, in Jerusalem there and uh, you know, to suggest to them, as Jesus does, that you know, the, these these things which are national glory to Israel at the time to the people, would to be destroyed. The idea would have been utterly incomprehensible to them, utterly bewildering to them. Um, you know, they had this great national pride in what they had accomplished as far as they're concerned. And and what they should have done was been Thankful to God for what He has accomplished for them, what He has done for them, because you know, all their victories were due to Him, and uh, all of the blessings that came from them were due to Him. Um, and so it would be a bit like for us, you know, going and standing outside Buckingham Palace and saying, oh, this is going to be destroyed." But you know, we know from the Scripture that when Christ returns and the earthway comes, all these, all these great national symbols that we have in the world around, all going to go. Uh, there is, there is no real comprehension to people out there in the world right now of of these prophecies and the impact that it's going to have globally you know we've, we've seen in our own time you know we remember where we were and what we were doing when you know, the two towers came down so the, the, the things that happen judgments come up on the world that are impacting nationally but we're now living in times whereby we're, we're in judgments of God on the on the world internationally globally you know some 180 odd countries are living with the impact of, of uh, COVID and the, and the governments reacting to it in the way that they have you know, astonishing times that we're living in, the world. and and this this is just a foretaste of what's about to come—the good judgments the of God, which are going to be poured out. They're going to completely destroy and recalibrate the world as we understand it and see it and experience it today. And it's going to be uh, wonderful to see the transformation between um, the current world we live and and the glorious righteous one, which Christ will rule over and reign over with the saints, God willing, us, and. Uh, with the king priests priest of, of the age to come. Um, so uh, quite a remarkable chapter here, how God's speaking about how God's judgments throughout the ages and at different times are part and parcel of the way in which he deals with the, the wicked nations and the wicked people of this world. how you know, He's uh, ready to judge at any moment to, to, uh, to bring about his purpose. so much in here. I'm wondering where to start so uh, any other comments would be uh, greatly appreciated
10: if we think about um, the one thing is clear from the way the Lord actually um, instructs his people he reminds them time and time again about Old Testament events Old Testament warnings and encouragements we've actually got one here in verse 14 actually we tend to focus in verse 14 upon the quotation from Daniel, daniel 11 but what he encourages his believers to do in verse 14 is then let them that be in judea flee to the mountains now does that ring any bells in our minds flee to the mountains it's very appropriate, actually. This is exactly what the angel said to Lot, as he was fleeing from Sodom. Jerusalem is like Sodom and Gomorrah at this moment, and the disciples are being encouraged to think about that and realize, "Hey, the destruction came on Sodom, but Lot had to get out and flee to the mountains." And that's the encouragement the Lord uh, is making for them to uh, just reflect upon an Old Testament example. And say, well, actually the Father has worked like this in the past. We do well to take heed.
0: You think that's a literal and a spiritual thing, isn't it? Because the mountains naturally, things which are higher up, we should have our minds elevated to think of things of the Lord, right? And so it's not just a you know, go to a mountain, it's also taking mind to, to, to the Lord above us.
11: It's really interesting. If you look
8: in verses thirty-two to thirty-six, it says no one knows the day or hour when the Lord will come. And then if you turn to First Thessalonians five two or Second Peter three ten, it says the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. And something that stood out to me is that it might not happen when everything is like at a standstill for us, like right now when. We're all in lockdown and everybody's thinking the Lord will come now. It'll happen when it's like all at a a break between all of our trials and tribulations where we're not, the world isn't thinking that, you know, Jesus will come and they'll go back to their own lives and, you know, lose interest again. And then he'll come to
11: get the true faithful ones.
4: Thank you for that helpful comment. Um, just I, w- I wonder if Stephen took comfort from the Lord's words in verse 9, they should deliver you up to councils in the synagogues you beaten should be brought before rulers and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them. Because when Stephen was hauled up before the council uh, and charged with speaking against the traditions of Moses, he was able to turn it around, wasn't he, and say, uh, that they actually uh, were speaking against the true teaching of Moses, and that their their traditions, their, in verse 51 of Acts chapter seven, he talks about your fathers, uh, which are the prophets, and what your fathers persecuted. Um, so they 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 are actually um, testifying against themselves by an irony. They're accusing Stephen or speaking against the, uh, the things of God, whereas in fact they are the ones who are doing so. But just simply that uh, what Jesus said was going to happen to faithful people like Stephen did happen, and it would have been a, a kind of comfort to him, just as it was a comfort to the Lord when he was on the cross, to realize that what was written in Psalm 22, for example, was being enacted perfectly. And so in the midst of that terrible trial, he would know that God's word was being fulfilled. And therefore, God's word would be fulfilled to bring to new life and to uh, redeem those who put their trust in him.
0: Let's go to the mic. Okay, good. Uh, there you are, thank you.
4: Uh, I think there was a question a minute ago from Ruth, I believe, about verse
0: 19. The uh, tribulation's church has not been since the beginning of the creation. Uh, it's a difficult one. Jesus is quoting or virtually quoting there from two Old Testament passages. One is Jeremiah, I think it's 30, the other is Daniel 12. Both of those Old Testament passages uh, apply to the time of the end, before Jesus' coming. But clearly here it's applied to AD 70. Uh, if you put them all together, it's not absolutely clear what's going on. But uh, the most likely thing is that the tribulation spoken of here applied to the Jews first in AD 70 and then to the Gentile world uh, before Jesus' second coming. That, I think, is the only explanation I can come up with. I'd be interested if anybody else has a, an alternative idea. I Kevin would like uh...
12: oh, to. I'm
0: muted, that's good.
12: Um, sorry, I'll just
0: uh,
12: put my video on so you can see me. Um, it's just a suggestion about verse 19, nothing dogmatic but when it says um, for in those days shall be affliction, such as was not from the beginning, we perhaps think of that as being the intensity of the affliction but it could of course be that it's just meaning it's a different type of affliction so um, you know there are many ways that we can be afflicted So it could be referring to the kind of affliction that it's such as was not from the beginning rather than the intensity of the affliction. That was just a suggestion.
0: Michael's waving at me again. Let me see yes, if find him.
4: No, okay. I've now. Uh, just as uh, taking Mike's point, which I think is a very helpful point, it seems to me that um, prophecy so often uh, repeats itself. There are patterns, aren't there, with the downfall of the King of Israel, prophecies of Isaiah, which also re- apply to the time of the end, the Babylonian uh, catastrophe, which overwhelmed Jerusalem and Judah, with prophecies there also applying to the time of the end. And of course, the Olivet prophecy. There are reputable brethren who have said the whole of the prophecy applies to A.D. 70, and no doubt you can make an application to A.D. 70. But as Brother Mike Lewis has said, um, it doesn't preclude a, a further application. It seems to me that, um, that the, the key to understanding to say yes, it was the end of the Gentile disp- Sorry, of the Jewish dispensation in AD 70. That was the end of an era, uh, but the, the characteristics of this uh, situation are going to be repeated on a, on a grander, more global scale at the end of our age, the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. So it seems to me that the tribulation uh, that they endured then is, is going to be repeated in the time of trouble, such as it has never been before, which will overwhelm the earth. Uh, in preparation for the coming of the Lord. And incidentally, you remember when the children of Israel were in Egypt, it was when they had a time of trouble such as they'd never experienced before, their cry went up to God and He heard and redeemed them. And so perhaps as the gospel goes out into a world that's in trouble, um, more people will be prepared in their hearts and minds to respond to the Lord when He comes and invites all the nations to kiss the sun, lest he be angry in the way. It's interesting to me, just as an aside, while, while we've got a bit of time, that um, uh, I, I'm a tutor on thisisyourbible.com. Your I think in the last three years, I've had about perhaps 10 new uh, students. But in the last four months, since, um, since the COVID thing overtook us, I've had 50 new students. Now, they haven't okay. all stayed the course, uh, whether I've turned them off quickly or what, I don't know, but nevertheless it's very interesting that that during this time, you know, 50 people and I've got two people who are really moving very strongly towards baptism. So there's no question about it, times of trouble and of anxiety and of difficulty do drive people back to God. It's the man on the sinking ship that gets, gets on his knees not the man that's basking in his deck chair under the Mediterranean sun. And so, um, so the, the, this affliction that will come is an opportunity, just as it was for the for the Jews in AD 70, uh, to, to recognise they needed to turn to God for help, not to man. So maybe the world will be in such a, a parlour state, that time of trouble which Daniel speaks of, that uh, people will be looking for a resolution which they realize is not in man. When the Lord returns and calls upon the nations to submit, there will be those who will really happily uh, turn uh, to accept the regime of the Lord Jesus Christ.
0: I think that's very true. I certainly you see an uptick in interest um, from Bible students. I think with, with preaching, certainly that we've been at lie, we've certainly seen a very strong... Uh, increase in the numbers of people who are logging in and trying kind to of watch virtually to, um, to Sunday evening uh, Bible lectures. I'm sure there are other occasions that seem to be similar, but there's definitely a, a surge. In, uh, not all of that surge turns into anything of anything of tangible benefit, but uh, certainly a lot of people wondering what on earth is going on in the world at the uh, The Word of God to get some answers, they're coming to the right place, aren't they? Right. Robert. Luke, could you uh unmute Robert for me? I don't know which Robert that is. Whatever. Ah. Yes please. Thank you.
6: Hello there. Robert Adams from Glenfield. Um, in uh, Mark 13 uh, verse 14, when we're talking about the abomination of desolation, it was interesting what brother Michael Owen was just saying and which I, you know, the, the actual um, quotation uh, is most probably from Daniel chapter 12 verse 1, um, uh, where we're talking about the latter days. Um, uh, we, uh, that's what I think anyway. And and, and, it, and it's attributable, of course, to both, and uh, we don't know what uh, the latter-day uh, uh, experience is going to be, of course. But it's interesting to note the context of, of what is being said in verses 15 to 18. Let him that is on the housetop not go down into the house and neither enter therein, and take anything out of his house. That's perfectly understandable. Verse 16, let him that is in the field not turn back again for to take up his garment. What does that mean? At what time are we talking about? That must be the summer. Because the man is in the field and he's left his garment at the side and he's not to go back for it. Because we're later on told, um, after woe to them that are with child, which of course he's talking about the women, we're then told, pray ye that your flight is not in winter. So the whole of the year is covered by what the Lord is talking about. You don't know when, this time is going to be summer or winter. Don't go down from your housetop, wherever you may be, whatever is happening, summer or winter. For in those days, the affliction shall be affliction such as was not from the beginning of creation. Whatever has happened, you've seen it all, it's all, all here in the Word of God. Whatever that affliction has been. And those of us that were there last night, uh, uh, what, as Brother Peter Owen was talking about the march of the Rainbow Angel. Um, even uh, whatever the affliction will be uh, for the Jews in Jerusalem, they will never have seen it before, because the warfare will be different anyway. None of us will see will have seen that sort of affliction. And that's how I I see it. And um, and even so, the earthquake that is to happen, we know, will be devastating. And so uh, I agree with Brother Michael that, uh, as he portrayed it. Um, uh, these things have a, a twofold dimension. We've seen the warning in the times of uh, that Daniel predicted. Uh, and so. Um, uh, we, we've got enough warning there and we've got enough warning here uh, that we have to be prepared. And just an, another little aside from what Brother Michael was saying, when he's got 50 new students, uh, uh, the older brethren amongst us will, will have remembered that uh, Brother um, oh, Burt Stockley uh, from Leicester. And he always used to say, affliction never hurt the truth. But affluence always has. And, um, uh, uh, and I think, <laughs> by the sounds of it, Brother Michael is is seeing the um, uh, rewards of affliction uh, in what he is teaching. Thanks, Brother Bob, and uh, thank you all
0: brothers and sisters for your uh, contributions and comments. Um, I'm not looking at the clock here, have in a couple of minutes now, uh, I understand Brother Tom is going to conclude uh, in prayer for us, so uh, if Mission Control could uh, unmute for a charm, that would be much appreciated, and then we'll conclude our little session.
12: And so we, so, so we come in prayer to our, our Heavenly Father. Oh, great and almighty Lord God, by whom we praise and acknowledge as the Holy One of Israel, uh, who dwellest in the heavens and whose ways and thoughts are so much higher than our own. You know, how we recognize the blessing we have enjoyed this day. We have been able to share this time of fellowship around Thy word of truth. We have been able to reflect upon Israel of old. And we marvel at Thy love, Him, the Father, that Thou dost constantly send Thy prophets in the hope that they would turn the hearts of the nation back to thee, that they would indeed worship thee in spirit and in truth, and according to thy laws and thy statutes. We marvel yet the more, Heavenly Father, that recognizing that failure, it was thee and thy love who stretched forth the arm of salvation, who provided thine only and thy well-beloved Son, the one who was sent to be their Saviour, the one who was sent to demonstrate he was thy Son. Whilst it was only a remnant in those days of my Father, we marvel that we have been called to be thy sons and thy daughters, that we in thy grace and thy mercy have been brought nigh unto thee, to share in the wonderful promises made to the fathers of all. May we take recognition of the things we've considered today. May we indeed hold fast to that which we know to be truth and which will lead us to salvation. May we indeed be a people whose hearts and whose minds are looking for and preparing for the return of thy son. May we, in these last days, be bright and shining lights. May we strive to give an account of the hope that lies within us to all those we come in contact with. May we encourage and strengthen one another in our walk. Above all, may we, with all our hearts, desire the return of thy Son, and for Jerusalem to be made a praise unto all nations, that thy name might be sanctified throughout thy creation we beseech thee to be with us
11: and to hasten that day as to ask that now in his name. Amen. Yes. Heavenly and gracious Father, we praise you and thank you for your revealed word. It provides light for our walk before you and gives purpose and direction for our lives. We recognize that it is, that the way of man to direct his steps does not come naturally. And we have seen all of that in the readings that we have shared this afternoon. We know, Father, that you rule in the kingdom of men and give it to whom you will. And so help us to learn from the examples that we have thought about this afternoon of weak and faithless and off-time Foolish leaders of men, and we thank you especially that we've been able to consider your faithful and courageous prophet Jeremiah, who delighted in your word, who endured so much in your service, of whom the world was not worthy, and especially, Father, for the opportunity to think upon the life of our Lord and those events leading up to his supreme giving of his life and we rejoice in your gospel in your living words centered in your son and we look to his speedy return to establish that kingdom of righteousness and peace so father hasten that time we pray And we give you our thanks for this opportunity that we have had to look at your scriptures and learn from them. We give you our thanks in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.